All right, thank you guys. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians. I want us to look at uh, this third chapter of Philippians, in particular verses uh, 4 through 19, and what I hope will challenge us for uh, not just a new year, but some food for thought for our daily uh, pursuit of the life of faith, what it ought to look like in real time so that we can accomplish all the things that God would have in store for us. It is a, it is a strange time of the year to me, as you as we transition from one season where we were celebrating the birth of a Savior into another season where we are now birthing our New Year resolutions and what those are going to look like. And that's a strange contrast because when you talked about celebrating the birth of a Savior, you were celebrating something that, that was eternal and everlasting. Whereas resolutions, New Year's resolutions, for the most part, are likely very temporal, statistically at least. They just don't last. And I'm convinced that most reasons that are the primary reason our New, Year, New Year's resolutions don't really last is because they are, they're superficial and temporal in nature. It's usually things that are external in nature. We want to start eating right. We want to start exercising. We want externally to look a certain way so that people will think that we're somehow successful because we have acquired, achieved a, a certain kind of look. And yet those things just, just really don't last. Just ask any gym owner because they're going to have a surge here for the next three or four weeks, and then it's all back to normal. And so I, I think the challenge for us as, as a people of faith who call ourselves followers of Christ, we, we want to think if we're going to be resolved about certain things that, that we focus on, on the eternal. What is it that actually has a formative impact upon our, upon our faith? And so how do we come up with some things that, that truly matter? What really matters, not what the world says matters. And that's one of the reasons I've called us to this, called our attention to this particular passage of, of Scripture because I think it so well represents what I have just said, the contrast between uh, what the world says is successful and, and what the Apostle Paul in the providence of God understands as being successful and, and the attitude shift that is necessary if, if we are going to be everything that God has called us to be. You'll notice that when it comes to the external things in Paul's day and time, the things that he sets forth here in beginning in verse four, he talks about all of his, all of the, the appearances of success that, that he had in his former life. And as you hear these words, it's almost like Paul is saying, you know, you, you want to hold before me your accolades, your achievements, all the things that man is impressed with. I want you to know I can trump you at every turn. In that present day and time, Paul says, I, I've acquired all of those things. I acquired all of those things. I had all of those things. And I had an attitude that was proud of those things. He says, although I myself, in verse 4, Philippians 3, although I myself could boast as having confidence in the flesh, that is in the things of this, of this world, if anyone else thinks that he is confident in the flesh, listen, you think you're somebody? If you think that if you've, you've acquired, you've achieved all the things that deem you as being successful in this world, listen, if anyone thinks he is confident in the flesh, I have all the more reason. 
I have all these things that, that I could point to. I mean, uh, verse 5, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of, of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of, of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, whatever things I used to point to, that gave me a sense of identity, that made me, that gave me a sense of satisfaction, that made me proud of what I had worked for and labored for. Paul says, whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ. In fact, all these things that I've acquired, all the things that the, award, the worldly accomplishments that I achieved in my life, listen, man, that's trash, that's rubbish, Paul says. I count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ, verse nine, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to, to his death, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, do you see the shift in Paul's attitude? Paul's saying, my, as a man of faith, he's saying, my mindset is completely different now. I've had a complete shift in attitude that I've gone from the pursuit of everything this world could, could offer me, but now that in the light of who Christ is, his death and his burial and resurrection, now then there's been a shift in my attitude. Now then knowing who he is and knowing that he died for me, now then I've given all that, all that's trash. All that's just wood, hay and stubble. I've, I've tried it all, I've tasted it all, I've tested it all, and it's just, and it left me wanting in life. So now Paul's life is a completely different kind of pursuit. He says in verse 15 and 16, therefore, all who are mature, let's have this attitude. Here we go. Here's the attitude. Therefore, all who are mature, let's have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. However, let's keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Listen, here's our new attitude as followers of Christ. It's, it's to be everything he would have us to be, to bring honor and glory to this one that gave his life for us and has been resurrected to participate in the life that he has acquired for us. And if that's not your attitude, he's saying, God will reveal that to you and make it known. Paul's talking about a mature kind of faith. Well, when I read those passages, I think, well, how do you acquire that? How do you, how do you get to this place like Paul where you can speak of a, of a mature kind of faith? Because that, that's what we all want. We want to grow and, and mature in our, in our faith and our understanding of who Christ is and the implications of that upon our life. Well, one of the things I, I so appreciate is I, I, I see in these verses an outline, how Paul has outlined for us the things that are necessary to have this attitude, how to attain this, this maturity in, in the life of faith. The first thing Paul alludes to 
in that first clause of, of verse 12, Paul says his life is characterized by a restless dissatisfaction. Paul has a restless dissatisfaction with what he knows, where he is, what he has done, what God is doing in his life. There there is a wanting for more. He says here in this first clause, not that I have, in verse 12, not that I have already grasped it. Not that I've already grasped it all or, or have already become perfect. The word teleos, it means becoming everything that God would have you to become. It's not that I've, it's not that I've already grasped it. Notice he says it another way in verse 13. Brothers and, sir, brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet. I mean, focus on those two verbs. He says there again in verse, in verse 12, it's not that I have already grasped it. Then again in that next verse, I haven't yet taken hold of it. I mean, these, these are two verbs that scream for a direct object. And we're going to get a direct object by, by the time we, we come to verse 14. It'll be offered. But right now, Paul's saying, you know what? Even sitting in a Roman prison, that's the context of his writing. Even sitting in in a Roman prison when it would have been easy to become despondent, negative, how could God be let, how could God let this be happening to me and in my life? None of that is found in the attitude of Paul. There is this restless dissatisfaction. Listen, I haven't grasped it yet. I haven't taken hold of it yet. So even sitting in a Roman prison, Paul, Paul has this anticipation that God is doing more, that there's more at work than, than, than can be realized in just the present hardship, the present circumstances, that in the purposes of God, something more is out there. I haven't grasped it yet. I haven't taken hold of it. I mean, Paul's already had opportunities that he would, would have nev- never had otherwise if he hadn't been thrown in prison. Paul, Paul would say that he's had opportunity to share, share Christ with the entire Praetorian Guard of the Roman army. Paul would not have had that opportunity had he not been thrown in prison. So even sitting there in prison, Paul's saying, you know what? I have this restless dissatisfaction. I haven't yet taken hold of it. Do you know why I preach with such urgency? You know, why, why some might say, man, Bobby, I, I wish you'd just be more affirming of, of where we are. Bobby, I wish you, why are you not more affirming in, in preaching? Why, why are you not just saying, boy, church, you know, I'm just satisfied with where we are and what we've done, what's been accomplished. Bobby, why don't you do that? Because we haven't yet grasped it. You know, my preaching every week is just an overflow of how, of how God's Spirit is challenging me in my own faith journey. And, and you, as, as my church family, you're just the beneficiaries of the overflow in these messages of what God is doing in my life and how God is challenging me personally as I've prepared His message. And part of that's my personality. I mean, I like preaching and teaching that, man, I like it up in my grill. I mean, I like, I like to be challenged. I like to be stretched. You know, the worst thing, you know, the worst thing a coach could ever do to me was to tell me, Bobby, you have arrived. And I never had a coach tell me that, by the way. <laughs> Bobby, I am perfectly satisfied with where you are. 
Everybody else needs to grow in, in their position, but you know what? I am perfectly content with where you are. I've never heard that. And I don't like hearing it in the life of faith. Man, I like preaching and teaching that challenges me and stretches me to want more. Why? Because I haven't taken hold of it. I haven't yet grasped it in my, in my own life. I'm not there yet. And that's what Paul is describing here. It's a, it's a not yet mentality. You see, that's what the life of faith is all about. It's about what we're becoming. It's not what you were. It's not where I was. It's not about just accepting Christ as your Savior, getting baptized and then walking away and never thinking about it. No, the life of faith is about what you're becoming. And so for us to, to continue to mature and to grow, there has to be this restless dissatisfaction. Even in the life of faith. I mean, we ought to constantly want to be stretched in our learning and our understanding of the Word of God. Seth and I were talking this week about, you know, I was saying, you know, I've given my entire adult life. We were talking about some of the complexities of, of life issues. And, and one of the things I shared with him was, you know, I've been preaching and teaching my entire adult life. And I still, and I have more questions than I do answers. And I've always said, I don't know who said it, but, but I, love the, I love the statement. Someone has well said, and I embrace the truth of this, that as the island of my knowledge grows, so does the shoreline of my ignorance. As the island of my knowledge grows, so does the shoreline of my ignorance. It's about being a life learner, a life student, someone who wants to be stretched, someone who wants to be challenged. Someone who has a restless dissatisfaction in life like Paul. Paul says, I press on, I press on. There is more to be done. There is more to be accomplished. Listen, church, comfort, comfort is the toxin of growth. Comfort is the poison of growth. It's about finding ways in life to get comfortable being uncomfortable because it's only in times of hardship it's only in times of discomfort that you're going to grow that you're going to mature that you're going to get some calluses on your soul and in your spirit and and on your hands things that that are going to happen that that will toughen you up in the life of faith but if the sum total of your faith is just sitting on a soft pew in an air-conditioned sanctuary, you're not going to get it. It's not going to happen. You've got to have a restless dissatisfaction like Paul. Another thing you notice about Paul is not just a, a restless dissatisfaction, but Paul also has a, has a resolute focus. And you see it here in these, in these verses, picking it up again in verse 12. He says, but I, but I press on in the middle of verse 12, but I press on if I may also take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by, by Christ Jesus. And in the middle of verse 13, but one thing I do, listen, you might want to underscore that, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward 
to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's your direct object from verses 12 and 13. When Paul says, I haven't yet taken hold of it, I haven't yet grasped it, he's talking about this very thing in verse 14, that he is pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knows what the goal is. To become like Christ. Let us keep our eyes, the author of Hebrews says, let us keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Paul knows what the goal is. He has this kind of resolute focus in his life as to a vision as to what he is becoming in his life by virtue of his faith. But did you notice what he said? Let's go back to it. He said, this one thing, this one thing I do. Now you think about in the complexities of life. Paul says, this one thing I do. Life just got a lot simpler. Life just got simpler for Paul and it will become much simpler for you when you make this same determination. This one thing I do. Because most of our lives are involved in a plurality of things, many things. We do a great many things poorly. We do, we do a great many things with mediocrity. We overwhelm and stretch ourselves trying to do anything and everything, the opportunities that are presented to us. Paul says, you know what, this one thing I do. And when you determine this one thing, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what, to what lies ahead, reaching forward to what lies ahead towards the goal, the upward prize of Christ Jesus. Listen, when you say this one thing I'm going to do, then that impacts everything. It's not a matter of trying to do everything, but when I do this one thing, it impacts everything. There's no facet of my life that will go untouched when I'm committed to doing this one thing. I'm gonna be a better husband, I'm gonna be a better father, I'm gonna be a better student, I'm going to be a better employee. Why? Because, because I'm seeking to do this one thing and this one thing impacts every facet of life. This one thing I do, the world got simpler, the world got smaller. Now Paul's focus is right here where my feet are. I've got to do what I can do in my, in my moments, in my opportunities, in my circumstances. This one thing I do, pursuing the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm committed to. Circumstances don't dictate what I do. Others don't dictate what I, this one thing I do. The less you see, the more you see, the more you will see. The less you see, the more you will see. You know what the hardest, you know what one of the most, most difficult challenges it is in athletics? is to train student athletes to quit being concerned about the scoreboard. Don't think about the scoreboard. Do you know in a 60-minute football game, you're actually going to play 11 minutes of football, about 11 minutes. Average play is about six seconds long. You're only going to play 11 minutes of football. And so you, you ask someone that everybody wants to think about the big picture, 
about the vision, the goals. And every football player at Texas Tech, they're going to tell you their goal is to win the Big 12. Okay, that, that's a good goal, but, but, but you, if you really want to be, win the Big 12, then you have to understand the importance of every game. Every game becomes important. Then if you understand the importance of the game, of every individual game, then you have to understand the importance of every individual rep. You're going to get about 90 reps a game. And that means if you take care of your business for 90 reps, 90 each rep having a life and death of its own, scoreboard's going to take care of itself. See, the less you see, the more you will see. And you don't train your mind just thinking, come around September thinking, well, this is going to be my new mindset. Every rep's important. No, you've got to back up all the way to January to right now. And the only way to train your mind is now then every lift, every sprint has a life and death of its own. I put everything I can into this one rep. It's not a matter of the coach telling me, hey, listen, we're going, to, we're going to do three sets of five reps. No, I'm doing one rep at a time. Every rep's going to get the very best of who I am. Every sprint is going to get the very best of who I am. And when I learn how to be where my feet are, this resolute kind of focus, being everything I can be right now in this moment where my feet are, big pictures. You'll see more that will unfold in your life. Because you have this resolute kind of focus right now. Paul said this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Listen, I don't care what your failures are. I don't care what your successes are. You got to let them go. Forgetting what lies behind. Even success can be your biggest enemy. Best thing you can do with success is, is recognize that it's just a moment and don't make it a monument. Celebration can actually be a distraction in your life because with every celebration in life, you're giving yourself an excuse. You're giving it yourself an opportunity to compromise, to take your eye off the goal. So whether success or failures, I'm forgetting about it. I'm pressing forward to what lies ahead, the upward call of Christ Jesus in life. But here's something else. It's not just having focus but it's having a plan. Goals and visions don't just happen. Just because you, you don't just speak it into existence, you've got to have a requisite plan. Paul certainly had that. It says there at the end of verse 13, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Paul's talking about intentionality. I'm going to be deliberate. I'm going to be intentional in my life, what I'm doing with my life, with the time and the energy and the resources that God has entrusted to me. Listen, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. One of the things I appreciate about Paul and his writing is that he oftentimes uses athletic imagery and analogies and talking about the life of faith. For instance, we see his intentionality over in 1 Corinthians and chapter 9, he says in verse 25, listen to this analogy Paul uses. He said, everyone who competes in the games, he's talking about the Olympic games, the Greek games, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. So they do it to obtain a perishable, perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
Listen, Paul's saying if, if athletes are going to exercise this much discipline to receive a crown of laurel, oak leaves that are just temporal in nature. Listen, if athletes are willing to make these kind of sacrifices and to exercise this kind of discipline for something that is temporal in nature, we ought to, we ought to be all the more disciplined, he says. So they do it to obtain a perishable wreath, we an imperishable. Therefore, this Paul said, this is my approach to life. Therefore, I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way as, as to avoid hitting air. Paul said, I'm not like a runner in the living of my life. I'm not just randomly living my life. I'm not like a runner that just takes off running and doesn't know where the finish line is. I don't run aimlessly. I'm not like a boxer who wastes, who wastes energy punching holes in the air, shadow boxing. Paul's saying, everything I do, I do deliberately. I do it with purpose, intentionality. I understand the limitation of resources, time, and energy. Therefore, I'm going to use it for one thing. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead in the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me just give you some practical things real quick. When you talk about having a requisite plan, just some things to think about that we each one can take and apply to our lives. And I guess some, I guess some, some real, real time rules of thumb, if you will. The first thing I, I would say when we talk about having a requisite plan is to have, have goals in your life above your current abilities. Remember, we're talking about being stretched, not staying the same. If you're just seeking to stay the same, I mean, you're, you're decaying. And so we, we've got to keep stretching ourselves. So, so if we're going to be stretched, you have to have goals that are above your current abilities. Don't lower the bar. Don't lower the bar based upon your current realities. Keep the bar up here. That a bar up here that, that represents potentially your future destiny. So, so have goals that extend and are stretched beyond your current abilities. I, I know I've told the story before about Leonardo da Vinci he had more unfinished works than he did finished works. And a part of it was, was he refused to compromise his vision of what he was seeing as he was putting something in stone or, um, or putting something on canvas. He had in his mind a vision of how he wanted it to work. And so it was not unusual for Leonardo da Vinci to sometimes discontinue working on a piece of art and then come back to it 10, 13, 15 years later. And it was because he would come to a certain place and, and he realized that he, didn't, that he had not yet acquired the skill set that was necessary to complete the work as he envisioned it. And so as he continued to develop his skills, his talent, 10, 12, 13, 15 years later, he would come back to it. Having developed that particular skill, he would come back and finish the work. But he refused, he refused to compromise the vision. He refused to compromise the vision. So have goals that are above your current abilities. The second thing I would say is to have an internal drive based upon the kind of person you want to be and not the things you want to have. 
have an internal drive that is driven, and this is the person of the Holy Spirit for a believer, have an internal drive that, that drives you always towards the person you want to be and not the things you want to have. The pursuit of things is always going to leave you empty. That's what, that's what Paul is leaving behind, things. Leaving behind the former things, the plurality of things that he was pursuing in his life. To one thing, he says. And so I have an internal drive that is motivated, that is spurred by the kind of person you are becoming and that you desire to become, which leads me to a third thing that goes along with this. Surround yourself with people representing the future you want, not the past you have already had. And again, this is something that is motivated and driven by the, by the kind of person you're wanting to become. That I, I, I see individuals who are role models, people that, that represent what I want to become. And so I, I, I try to build relationships with them. In other, in other words, what I'm saying, I'm trying to, uh, trying to say in a fancy way what really doesn't need to be said very fancy. If you run with dogs, you're going to get fleas. And so how do you escape that? Well, it's having internal drive motivated by the kind of person you want to become. And so I'm going to seek out those individuals who represent what I want to become in my life. A fourth thing, and I've already alluded to this, is celebrate success. Celebrate the successes in your life as a moment and not a monument. Celebrate your successes in life as a moment and not a monument. Celebrations are a distraction in life. They are for the moment. It's like Martin Luther said, the great reformer, he said, when someone compliments your sermon, he said, just sniff it like a rose and then just let it pass. And he's right. You have to stay motivated. Don't compromise. Celebrate success as a moment. And then the fifth thing is, unsurprisingly, is no exceptions. Whatever your goal is and you're working a plan to get to that goal, make no exceptions for yourself. Now, you in your mind and even those around you with the very best of intentions will try to distract you from your goal and they will, they will try to talk you into exceptions. Oh, listen, it's, it's New Year's Eve. This comes around once a year. Every exception you give yourself has a cumulative effect. Just like doing the right thing every day, every moment, every opportunity has a cumulative effect in what you are becoming. Continually giving yourself an exception has a cumulative effect that just drags you down. Listen, your friend, well-intended friends will try to find exceptions for you. Listen, it's the proverbial crab trap. When you're trying to get out of the crab trap, when you're trying to, listen, in a world of least common denominators, we as followers of Christ, I'm seeking to be a numerator. I don't want to be a common denominator. I want to be a numerator. But when you're seeking to be a numerator instead of a denominator, there's always going to be those in the crab trap that are trying to pull you back down to where they are. 
Highly driven people do not like mediocrity. Those who settle for mediocrity do not like highly driven people. Fact of life. So no exceptions. Now here's the bottom line. Number six. Know and do. Know and do. Know what God would have you to be. Know what God, the kind of person he would have you to be. Just do it. We can sit around and scratch our head and act like the will of God is some kind of mystery and and try to spiritualize it and act like we're praying. Oh, I'm just trying to figure out the will of God. We all know what the will of God is, that you you seek after him, that that you seek to bring honor and glory to his name. It's always a matter of doing. It's not the knowing. We hide behind the not knowing. It's the doing. That's the challenge. The competition, it's always you. The competition is always you. It's no one else. You try to blame the devil. The one who is in you is greater. You're the competition. The man in the mirror always knows. Know and do. And when you know and you do, you will have discovered the resolutions that matter. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the challenge that the life of faith brings to us each and every day, the meaning and purpose that we can find in in the pursuit of the high calling in Christ Jesus. That Father, even in all the highs and the lows, the ups and downs, we we can forget what lies behind and keep our eyes fixed and focused upon you knowing that you're a redeeming God that picks us up and and shakes us off, knocks the dust off and pushes us on down the road toward what you are having us to become. And Father, I pray that this day, this first day of 2023, would be just the first day for each and every one of us of what you are accomplishing in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.